0: Finding trusted faith-building entertainment for your kids is easy with the Adventures in Odyssey Club. It's an online community with almost every episode ever and a Focus on the Family Clubhouse magazine subscription. AIoclub.org slash radio.
1: I was afraid to do this. I was scared. I wasn't special, and God didn't design me to be some incredibly special person that no one else has the abilities to do what I do. I was just obedient and stepped into it, and now I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I get to see this every day in my home. And it's kind of like a high, it's kind of like a euphoric thing of like, oh my gosh, God, look what you can do. Look what you can do in the life of this kid.
0: Well, that's Stacy Gagnon describing her adventures as a foster and adoptive parent. And she's here with us, along with her husband, Darren, to share about their unusual family, which is going to inspire and encourage you today. Welcome to Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author, Jim Daly. And I'm John Fuller.
2: Well, November is National Adoption Month. And I am so glad that we can celebrate the courageous moms and dads that have said yes, like Stacy and Darren. Uh, who have stepped into this special calling and helped rescue, really, uh, children that don't have families. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, now, we know that not everyone can be a foster parent, don't feel a guilt trip. That's not the, the goal of the program today. It's more to just make you aware of the needs uh, in foster care, adoption, etc., and then encourage you to ask the Lord what you might be able to do. It might be simply coming around an adoptive family and embracing them and helping them. There's many ways to get involved, and we're going to cover those today.
0: Yeah, uh, there's volunteering, uh, the babysit running errands, a variety of things. Uh, at our Wait No More website, we have a lot of different ideas about how you can come alongside, as Jim said, a foster or an adoptive family. And so stop by our website. We've got the link in the episode notes.
2: You know, I've mentioned this before, but uh, when we started doing our wait no more program here, at focus on the family, which was to do exactly what I mentioned a moment ago to help inspire uh, people to consider working in the foster care area. Uh, I got home and Jean said, Hey, if you're going to ask others to do it, we need to do it. <laughs> and it wasn't I wasn't like, what you were expecting, was it? Yeah, it that? wasn't. I was like, no, I was the foster kid. I don't have to go through that again. But she was right. It was great to engage, and we became foster parents. We had both long-term children and, and then short-term stays where they just needed a place for a night or two. But it was so rewarding. And again, we're going to cover this today. In the U.S., it's called Wait No More. In Canada, it's called Waiting to Belong. And uh, we are grateful for all of the families that have said yes and come to one of the events. Yeah,
0: these events are all designed to kind of uh, enlighten, encourage, and inspire families to open their hearts and homes to bring in a child through foster
2: care. And uh, it's really made a difference in so many lives. It has. And now let me officially welcome our guests, Darren and Stacy. Thank you for joining us today.
1: We are delighted to be here.
2: I so appreciate it. Um, As I understand it, you're both passionate advocates for orphans, and that's great, and you have a heart for kids with special needs particularly, which that's special in itself because that comes with a lot of additional requirements, and uh, I really admire the fact that you've done that. But that wasn't your original intent when you started your family, right? So give us an idea about your family. How is it comprised?
1: Well, um, actually, my original intent was no children. Um, <laughs> okay, no.
2: You know what? A lot of women are in that spot, so I appreciate the, I, the honesty of that.
1: Uh, I was a college athlete, very driven, very career-driven, and um, I would say that starting out, I, I didn't want kids. And then, you know, we laughed. Say... Let me dig
2: into that. What was that motivating reason to not want children? Other than you were an athlete, and was it they were, would be a distraction? or Just sum that up for me.
1: I think if i just summing it up, is my, I was raised by a single mother. My father was an alcoholic. Um, and in my mind, I didn't want to do that to a kid. I didn't want to have a failing right. marriage or have a child be raised by a single mom. Um, and so I think that in my mind, there were other things I could do. I wanted to work with kids, but I didn't necessarily want to have my own to raise. No,
2: I appreciate that. And obviously, your testimony, your life... Shows that uh, God changed your heart in that regard.
1: With a sense of humor, yes. God changed my (laughs) heart in that. Um, You know, so I I think as we were looking at our family, then I I conceded, okay, let's have two children, and we had a boy and a girl, and, and we were done. And so... At that point, I was teaching at an elementary school, and a student came into my classroom who was new. And with any new student, you know, you you set them by the student who is super driven and and super organized. And and so is that student... why I
2: always moved around? It in was, class. Yes, it was <laughs> <laughs> set Jim by All the smart years. Exactly, and now it makes sense to me.
1: And so um, I started teaching away and going about the day. And um, about halfway through the day, I look back, and he is. Um, slumped over on his desk, and I, I hear him just ugly sobbing, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" And so I walk back there, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I, I had him come right outside the classroom door, and he just slumped down the side of the building and was sitting on his head in his in his arms, and I kneeled down and and I said, "What what's going on, Bud?" And he looked at me, and I just remember his face, you know, just streaked with tears, and he said, "They took me from my home last night. I went to a foster home." in this town. And I don't know the lady's name I'm staying with. And I don't even know what bus to ride. And I was just horrified that Mm. one of my students was living this. And so I did a little more investigation and found out that in my community, that they were having to stack children in homes because they didn't have enough foster homes. And so um, I went to Darren and, and just said, you know, we need to do this. We can be a home for kids. We have extra room and you know, we can, we can do that. And so I guess the rest then is history.
2: And that child was eight, I believe. Is that right? Just to paint that picture. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, uh, that is such a significant moment because I live that too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that loneliness and that unknowingness, that's the best way to describe it. And when a teacher would put their hand on my shoulder and say, Hey, do you need help? It was an awesome thing. You know, it it just reinforced the fact that somebody does care. Darren, you're a teacher. That's what you have done, uh, and that's beautiful. You taught high school. Talk about uh, you as the husband. So, you know, your wonderful wife is saying, "Hey, I'm
3: feeling like this nudge." Where were you at in that? Sure. So, you know, I've always enjoyed working with kids. All through college, I uh, I taught. Uh, Middle school, Sunday school, that age. So you're one of those guys that said yes
2: to middle school. And uh, it was always
3: great. (laughs) You know, I felt like in this situation, God kind of said, look, I'm going to open your eyes to a a situation, and then I'm going to ask you to do something about it. You know, I mean, in America, so many times, like, we're aware of things, but we hesitate to get involved or, you know. It's life can be pretty complicated sometimes. And so in this case, when Stacey told me what happened, I talked to some friends of ours that our were foster family, and we just decided, why not? If God's calling us to do it, we should do it. And we're
2: going to explore the why nots because it's not easy. Uh, sometimes you'll get a child that, you know, it can be easier. But these children come with a lot of emotional baggage, and I do want to uncover that as we move along. Let me uh, ask you about backwards parenting. Uh, that's an intriguing, uh, I guess, approach. What are you getting at when it comes to backward parenting, especially those kids that are coming from trauma, which many of these kids, I know the 15 or so kids that we had through our home, some were little babies. You know, they were coming in because their mother was addicted to drugs and they were trying to sort it out. Then others had other issues, whether it was abuse or something like that, but uh, they come in with brokenness. I mean, that's where you have to start. And it's got to keep your anger or your overzealousness in check, right? Absolutely. To start where they're at.
1: And and I think so. We laugh because what I said earlier is we thought love can fix this. I'm going to parent like I did my bio kids. And, you know, we subscribe to so many of Dobson's books. You know, we love we read, The strong willed Child. We read all of the books because we wanted to be prepared. And I will tell you, yes, that with my my trust-based, my my bio kids, that worked. But that kind of parenting does not work so much with a trauma child because their brain has been, the foundation of their brain is different. And so backwards parenting is understanding that behavior is communication. And we believe that, right? And we say, yep, behavior is communication. But for some reason down the road, we start, we kind of lose that. And so when we're parenting our kids and we see a scary behavior, we recognize that scared kids do scary things. And so we are, lo- we are going to ignore the behavior and figure out what is the underlying need or fear that is not met right now. Mm-hmm. And it all goes back to attachment. It all goes back to that early foundational thing that's happening. And so when we are backwards parenting, it is not a free ticket out of consequences. It's understanding I'm not going to play whack-a-mole with behaviors all day and not actually figure out why the behaviors are happening. Well, which
2: is the the baiting that these kids typically do, because I think in so many ways they want to basically say, do you love me even if? Mm-hmm. I mean, then you can fill in the blank. Uh, do you have some examples so people can attach to what you're saying? I mean, again, uh, people that have compliant bio children, they're like, what is going on? You know, it's kind of like the person who's never had children in the grocery store watching the kid mm-hmm. have a frantic moment. <laughs> right. And, and they say to themselves, when I have children, they will never act like that. Well, I don't think that's the case. Right. You will soon find that not to be true. Uh, but give us an example of what you experienced with these traumatized kids and how they continue to say, Will you love me even if I...
1: I, I like to use this story. It, it does not shine kindly on me, but it was when we first started fostering. Um, we, we got two children in our home and... Um, Often is the case in foster care, you don't know the history yet. You know, we were told that we were getting um, a four-and-a-half-year-old and a two-year-old two who didn't speak English. They only spoke Spanish, which we find out later that they didn't even speak Spanish. Um, they, they were pretty much speaking gibberish. But um, I remember within the first week of being home or in my home, I had made cupcakes for all of the kids, and I had put them on the counter, and I had told all of them, like, hey guys, we're going to have these after dinner. Don't eat the cupcakes. And I'm pretty sure right now your studio audience or whoever is, is <laughs> laughing because I guess I'm sure you guys can all guess what's going to happen. I left the room to go do laundry because at my house there is always laundry to do. <laughs> and when I came back in, the four and a half year old boy was standing there with cupcakes in both hands, <laughs> cupcake all over his face. And I, in that, I, I just, I rounded the corner and I looked at him and I said, Did you eat the cupcakes? Well, I'm sure you can guess what he said. (laughs) No. Yeah, right. No. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, you're holding the cupcakes in your hand. And he is lying. He's going to lie to me again. No. And he puts them behind his back and he's like, no. And he's adamant that he didn't eat the cupcakes. And I'm adamant that he's holding the evidence in his hands. And so in that moment... um, I realized that I was triggered by his lying and (laughs) he was triggered with a survival brain telling Mm -hmm. him the worst thing that ever happened to me is about to happen again. And so he was going to lie to survive. And had I known his internal narrative or his history, I would have understood that he um, and his sister had been um, locked in a room in an apartment with with, um, no one around. Mm -hmm. No one even knew children lived in that yeah. Apartment, um, they had witnessed the murder of their infant brother. Oh my goodness! They had been without meals many, many times, and so I didn't know that, and I was going to punish the behavior instead of recognizing that he was a child that had food insecurity. Right, and so we learned very quickly wow, he had his own set of food. I mean, we nicknamed him Pop-Tart because he was addicted to <laughs> Pop-Tarts and he could have them whenever he wanted. So we would just like, you know, I mean, he had, we had boxes of Pop-Tarts because that's what he loved. Yeah. And so it, that's a point of backwards parenting where we recognize that the behavior... Doesn't matter, it's what's the underlying need that needs to be met
2: that's really good mm. uh, Darren, let me pull you in here because uh, you know people are listening. We've had about five thousand families start the adoption process through foster care, wow. which is great. that doesn't count the number that have wrapped around other adoptive parents, et cetera. We don't know that number, but uh, you know they're con- they're energized by the discussion. they know what the Lord is calling them to. the book of James talking about caring for the orphan. Uh, but you know, there's that apprehension. Describe that, and how to how did the two of you get through that apprehension?
3: You know, Stacey and I, over the years, have talked about the um, the idea of the American dream, right? And everybody talks about the, you know, two and a half kids and a dog and a, you know, a nice home the and white picket fence. A, yeah, exactly. And so we decided once you know, we didn't really set out to be foster parents. It kind of fell in our lap. We responded when we were kind of called to do it, but we kind of learned early on, like, if, if you're truly going to do what God asks you to do, the American dream has to kind of go uh, go away, and you start to live your life with purpose. And you so, so you you know, there's a lot of fear involved. And I think that, I think especially for people who are looking from the outside in at fostering, you know, you hear all the horror stories of people who had bad experiences. But if you can get through that, and you can go with faith, and you can say, you know, we're going to do it, even if things might go bad. We know this is what we kind of feel we're called to do. When Stacy and I were fostering, you know, the phone would ring and they would say, "Well, we have a a child," and you know, most of the time you'd ask lots of questions. You know, you'd want to know their age and lots of information about their background to decide if it was a good fit for your family. Well, after maybe six months of fostering, and the phone kept ringing, and we kind of didn't know whether we should say yes or not, we just decided, you know, that doesn't make any sense. If if the phone rings we're just going to say yes because huh. we will know that god has already just decided we're the ones that they're going to call. They could call all kinds of different foster families but they called us. So faith just leads us to say what you say to say yes. And i think i think people just need to recognize that if if they're listening to what the lord is calling him to do, just say yes and yeah. he will take care of the details.
2: Now in that context, you have the two bio children that you've talked about, but you had something like 30 30- uh, foster kids come through your home, and you adopted five of those. I believe is that mm-hmm. accurate?
1: So we adopted three of them, and then adopted two from orphanages in Eastern Europe. Okay, so, yes. so
2: mm-hmm. you know, quite a combination of needs and you know, parenting needs, etc. But one of your sons named Joel. It was very special. Describe—they're all special, obviously, but Joel had unique challenges. What? What was Joel's story?
1: So Joel, um, we were done after four. So we always laugh. <laughs> so keep having this we negotiation with God. Done after two, yeah. done after four. And then we were <laughs> like, you know what, we have, <laughs> we have room for one more. And we had just, you know, adopted our, our two middle children that had special needs. And we're like, you know, this is a niche. You know, everybody wants the baby or everybody wants, you know, the child that's neurotypical. And, you know, we let's give a home to a child that maybe would not get a home. And so we said, one more. And so at that point, we let our licensing worker know. And she like goes, oh, my goodness, I, I know this kid. I saw him a year ago. So she tells me about this child um, in another town who has what's called Goldenhar syndrome. And Goldenhar is a craniofacial impairment or deformity, if you will. So Joel has um, facial disfigurement. So he's missing an ear, part of jaw in his face. And um, uh-huh. he's deaf and also has vision issues. And so... Um, we were like, well yeah. Just like Darren said, yes. You know, we just learned to just be obedient and say yes and hmm. um we went to meet him and it was just I instantly knew like he's he's number five.
3: Wow. So.
2: The Lord just confirmed that in your mm-hmm. heart. Yeah. Now I mean that takes um some consideration. I, I agree with you, Darren, that as Christians that the yes, I love that, yeah. that step of faith. But that can be intimidating to most people, and I understand that. It's not a guilt thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did you plow through that? I mean, just to say yes, because we trust God's got a plan here and we need to be part of it? Is it that
1: simple? I, I guess I would say yes, because nothing we do makes sense on paper. From finances, to what our family makeup is, to all the the things that we do from day to day, none of it actually makes sense unless God's involved in it. And so, um, and I also if your listeners could hear this, disability is not a tragedy. God formed my children to be exactly who they were supposed to be. And the tragedy is the fact they didn't stay with their bio parents. That's the tragedy that they needed. And I think when you are looking at kids, we all, and adults too, we all have things that are special needs or extra needs within us. My children's extra needs are just more external. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I will tell you, if you met my kids, you would just be like, you are so lucky. As we are we're so lucky,
2: yeah, it's so. beautiful, and in fact, it, it led to you writing a children's book with Joel uh, about Joel in a in a way, but it's called Cowboy Joel and the Wild Wild West.
3: Uh, what happened with that? How did that idea come about? you know that was it was a long process, but it was really fun to do um you know, years ago, when Joel was pretty young, he had a kind of a bad experience and and um, Stacy wrote a blog post and talked about. How, as parents, we just need to be intentional about teaching kids that there are other kids who look different. And if we can kind of prepare them ahead of time, we might avoid some of the issues that Joel has. Because Joel looks different. And so kids look at him and, and tend to stare. And it's just a matter of, you know, misunderstanding most of the time. And so when that had happened, we got contacted by NBC. We ended up going on the Megyn Kelly show. We talked about, about how we can, you know, as parents, do a little bit better. And then out of that, people said, "Well, how do we do it? How do we teach our kids about kids who look different if we don't know any kids?" And so we wrote a book. Yeah, and that's good.
2: And in fact, that was born out of an experience where you took Joel to church, and kids were kind of not very kind. They were looking, staring. Maybe is that a fair description?
1: Yes. So I had walked him back. We had gone to a new church because our oldest son was presenting um, there, and so I had walked him back to the children's ministry and. And the reality is I forget that he looks different. Like we live in a small community and you just, people are, you know, he goes to school with other kids. And so we don't see it or recognize it till we actually leave our town. And so um, when we walked back into this children's ministry building, every kid, when we walked in the door, stopped talking, started um, whispering behind cupped hands and pointing at him. And he just like, ran to the back of the room and put his head into his arm and yeah. I'm like oh so to to me it just it, it just made me upset cuz I'm like oh my gosh parents have got to teach their kids the correct way
2: yeah a better way
1: a better way yeah
2: to teach mm-hmm. especially in that context right. you know i can only imagine Joel's little heart yeah and so you blogged about that and mm-hmm. got a little bit of reaction
1: yeah so it went it went viral and um you know, it it just really became more of a, a conduit for us to be able to speak out about how to educate kids on children that have differences. Mm-hmm. So,
2: Stacy, you've admitted, and I think very kindly, you know, you're not a perfect mom. Guess what? There are no perfect moms, yeah. and there are no perfect dads. Um, but we try hard, and that's the the point. Um, but I do want people because part. Part of what we want to do is nudge people to consider how they can get involved, right? Uh, in that regard, what are the challenges that you face and what did the Lord teach you about uh, being enough for your kids? Not perfect, right. but being enough and kind of letting go of the laundry and all the stuff that make you feel imperfect because it's not all done.
1: You know, I I look back on just... Um, my life, and and especially in college and shortly after, I I was very performance-driven. I was a college athlete. I um, excelled in academics and in sports, and I wanted to carry that over into motherhood. And, you know, with my two oldest, my biological children, I really was so driven to have a perfect home. My kids dressed perfect. My kids received all the things that I felt like made me a good mom and made us good parents to them um when we started fostering i started drowning yeah <laughs> i couldn't maintain the perfection that i had for myself and the reality is like i believe like foster care and adoption has saved me from from a life of just performance for man mm. and uh, mm. these kids have like they honestly exposed some of my ugliest parts and even in our marriage but it's been so beautiful because God has met me in those spaces and saying like, you're enough because you're showing up to love them every day. And, you know, my kids are not in every sport. We, You know, we both were full-ride college athletes. None of our children are athlete, <laughs> athletic. And that's good. You know, like we're they're not in every sport. I don't get to make every single production. I'm not able to keep up with laundry, you know. I am one of the worst cooks in the whole wide world. Thank God I married someone that can cook. Like, And it's okay because I'm enough as a mom in Christ teaching my kids about God's love.
2: Well, it's so beautiful because Jesus himself was that example of getting involved in messiness. You know, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the tax collector. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he just kind of went where the, the righteous people didn't go. And I think it's a great example, you know, where... He's telling you, get involved in the mess. Let's end with the story about your son, Israel, and tell us about Israel, kind of describe him for us, and then tell us how uh, you taught him to become more independent by learning to get into a wheelchair. Um, Because I think this is a great example of not falling prey to overdoing it to make them so dependent.
1: Right. Just to give you a little backstory on Israel, he... um, I was scared to death to bring Israel home. When I met Israel, he was four and a half living tied to a crib in um, Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. He had zero language as a four and a half year old. He um, was on a liquid diet and was the size of a one year old. And so when we brought Israel home, it did not mean it was easy because God had shown me that. I, I thought, I don't want my son to be caged by me. And so um, he started thriving in our home. It was amazing. He started talking. He started eating normal foods. He started getting around. And I recognized in him this desire to um, overcome. And as a mom, I had this incredible desire to protect because I know what he had lived for four and a half years. And so it kind of all came to a culminating point where um, he wanted to get into his wheelchair. And I told him, Israel, Israel. You're going to get in your wheelchair. And he looked at me and he said, Mommy, I can't. It's hard. And I'm like, you can do this. And I walked out of the room. (laughs) And I stood at the door and I watched him for 30 minutes, trying and falling, trying and falling. And then came the moment where I just saw him do it. And he said, Mommy, I did it. And I think that that's our goal in parenting our kids is just saying, you know, it doesn't matter your past it doesn't matter where you've come from, but you you can be independent. You can do all these things because you're loved, you're safe, and worthy.
2: Wow. And, There's so much in there that yeah. you're talking about. I don't care if you have bio kids, adopted kids. I mean, that is what the Lord—you can really sense, Stacey and Darren, how the Lord has shaped your heart, and the things that you've learned through the process are beautiful. And, you know, I think for me, the, the kind of the last point and the thing that I'm so concerned about for the church— Certainly in North America, it may not be true globally, but the church in North America, we seem um, so wrapped up in modernity that we're failing to recognize God's basic call to sacrifice, to love those around you. And you've demonstrated that in such a beautiful way. And we just need more people to say yes and to say, okay, I'm going to get messy. I'm not going to live for perfect. I'm going to live for imperfect but good enough and uh, it's such a beautiful story in this wonderful book cowboy joel and the wild wild west what a great expression to help kids understand how some people are different and how do we interact with them and treat them and uh, just like the lord's heart we do that with deep respect and love for that individual thank you so much for being with us today
1: thanks for having thanks. us on yeah.
0: And we're going to encourage you to get a copy of this great book, uh, Cowboy Joel and the Wild Wild West, for your child, for your grandkids, your church. Get copies of this book. Spread it around. Help children understand not everybody's made the same, and there is some joy in, um, mm-hmm. in the other child that doesn't look like you. Uh, get a copy from us here at Focus on the Family. Uh, the website and our phone number are both included in the episode notes. And uh, please send a gift of any amount to Focus on the Family. Join our support team, and we'll send a copy of the Gagman's book right out to you. That's our way of saying thank you for supporting our efforts to uh, wrap around foster care and adoptive families. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.
3: my marriage was falling apart.
1: I just didn't know how to fix it. I felt like I would always be alone, even if I stayed married. At Focus on the Family's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive, we offer hope to couples in crisis so they can have the marriage they've always dreamed of. For the first time, I felt like my husband truly heard me. I've received some great tools from the counselors that have changed my life and my marriage. To begin the journey of finding health, go to hoperestored.com today.